hear this amazing message about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us. As you came in, I hope you will have gotten one of these pieces of paper. On the back of that, there will be a little sermon outline, which will give, sort of give you an idea of where I'm going with what I'm saying as I, un, as I unpack not Isaiah 53 and not Psalm 22, but Matthew 27. Great place to take notes, um, jot down questions, because we'll have a, a QR code later if you'd like to ask questions or make any comments at all. As we go through, Maria, who just read for us, will be reading the passage, because there'll be segments of the passage, but she'll read from her seat. So when the disembodied voice comes out, it's not some ghost, it's just Maria over in her chair. As I uh, was preparing, as I was thinking about what I was going to say, one of the things that goes through my head, I'm not a very visual person, but I try and think through what visual, visual things to use to help those who are more visually uh, proclived, so to speak, to, to engage. So I thought, okay, let's go online, let's ask Dr Google and ask him for some nice Easter religious images. So I did that on Wednesday. The first page was a page of chocolate eggs. The second page was a page, guess what, of chocolate eggs and rabbits. The third page was eventually when I got to some things about Jesus dying on a cross. It's really quite astonishing, really. Uh, at my workplace just the other day uh, in a hospital, uh, we were talking and talking about what was happening over this weekend and, of course, the two things that came up were going on holidays and chocolate. Now, that's Easter for people, isn't it? But actually, Easter is so much more than that. We've read from the, from the scriptures about some of the things that lie behind Easter. And in the narrative that we're about to read and where we've come from in Matthew chapter 7, 27, in the narrative we have seen Jesus on trial. Now, it was a bogus, it was an illegal trial. And then, in this passage we're about to read, we see Jesus not pursued not being arrested, but being crucified. Being crucified in a terrible death. But when we look, we see something. Now, we sang a wonderful hymn a moment ago, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And one of the lines comes up and says, Behold the man upon the cross. And that's what I hope we'll do today a little bit. Look, have some slightly fresh eyes of this man upon the cross and what do we see? And we will see a man ridiculed, made fun of, treated with contempt. And so we're going to pick it up and it'd be great for you to have your Bibles open at Matthew chapter 27, but Maria will read from her seat and we'll pick it up at verse 27. Thanks, Maria. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. And they spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. 
Now, clearly, these soldiers, these guards of the Praetorium, clearly thought that this claim that this man was king of the Jews was about as likely as the claim that I'm Superman. It was it, it just ridiculous for them, completely impossible. And so they mocked him and they spat upon him. And when we think about it, it's, it's, it's all a bit barbaric, isn't it? But when you think about it, that is exactly the way many of us treat Jesus when we ignore what he has done for us. We stand and we say, you're the king, ha, your death wasn't worth anything. That's what so many people think. That's what so many people say. People scoff and as much as any of those standing there on the day making fun of Christ or as a hymn writer Townend said, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. I suspect if we had been there, it'd be no different for us that we would have been there making fun of this man hanging on a cross as if he is the king of the Jews. And if we are mockers, if we are scoffers, people who don't care, people who take no notice, then what is going on? Why did Jesus die? Now, if you've been coming to church for a while or if you've been to church as a child, you'll know the Sunday school answer to that. Jesus died to save me. But it all feels a little strange because while many of us have a very healthy ego, we don't usually expect anyone to give up their life to save us, do we? What could possibly mean that Jesus this man you'd never actually met, would die for you or for me? Why did he give up his perfect life? Why was he put upon the cross? Let's pick up the story at verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, there they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. So Matthew picks up three reasons here. And we see th the, the first reason that Jesus went to the cross was that he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. And we read them. We read in Psalm 22, verses 18, verse 6, about them casting lots for his clothes, fulfilling prophecy, and standing and watching and mocking him. And then in Psalm 69, verse 20, 21, we talk, he talks about the sour wine being offered to him. Or then in that wonderful passage in Isaiah 53, where Jesus is allotted his place amongst the sinners. See, Jesus was aware that he had to die. 
in God's plan to fulfil the Scriptures, that his beloved son would have to die. Because we know that most famous verse of the whole Bible, don't we? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's the reason. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And God gave his son. We didn't take him from him. It didn't somehow, it didn't somehow happen and God said, oh my goodness, I didn't realise that was going to happen. It had to do with God purposely showing his mercy. The second reason was because there was something to do. We have a terrible need that only he could fulfil. We are all sinners. That's that word we came up with before. All sinners facing God's judgment, facing the reality that unless something changes, God would turn away from us. God would forsake us. Well, let's pick it up at verse 41. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So you see there the reality, the reality of the attitude of the chief priests and the teachers of the law, mocking, ridiculing Jesus. And in this really ironic moment, they speak a truth that they could not know. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Which isn't quite true, is it? He saves others by not saving himself. It's absolutely true. The irony is that it was because he wanted to save others, he could not save himself. If he had saved himself, then he would still be facing God's anger. We would still be facing God's anger. As Townend says in the song, Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. That's what it was all about. And you and I are the same. We reject God. We mock God. Even when we just ignore him, don't take any notice of him, that's what we're doing. He is not fully God over us. And if he's not fully God over us, then we are mocking him as God. If he's not fully God over me, then I'm mocking God and I know that I fall short of it. I know I fail. And at the risk of being a little bit forward, I know you do too. Not because I've got special glasses that can see into your life and everything that you do, but simply because the Bible tells me that we all fall short of God's standard. The Bible tells me that we all sin, and there's, there's no exception to that. And so we all face God's judgment. We all face God turning his face from us and rejecting us, which is an awful thing. And as the hymn said, that's what took him to the cross. It was my sin that held him there. 
my sin until it was accomplished. But do you see that most wonderful moment that just came up there? The moment of substitution. The moment of accomplishment. When he paid the debt, we could never pay. He took the punishment for our sins to give us life. John's Gospel puts it like this in chapter 19. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And it's in his cry that we saw in the passage at verse 45. Thanks, Maria. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. At about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He became God forsaken for us. He bore God's wrath. The Father turned his face away from him for us. That most intimate, that most wonderful, that most perfect relationship was broken for you and for me. Because in Jesus doing that, it means that you and I don't have to face the awful future, a God-forsaken future, a future without anything good, without anything beautiful, without anything wonderful, special or fun. Jesus stood in our place, took our punishment, bore God's wrath so that we might become acceptable to God. Not because of anything we've done, because what Jesus himself has done for us. And that brings us to the last reason. He did it because of love. And we've already seen that in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But he wasn't forced to. He didn't have to do that. He didn't owe it to us to do that. It was simply and only because he loved us. On their honeymoon in Byron Bay in 1993, Debbie and John Ford were scuba diving off Julian Rocks, which is up north, uh, near Byron Bay, when they saw a six-metre great white shark swimming directly for Debbie. At the last minute, John pushed his wife out of the shark's path and was taken in her place. His heroic gesture cost him his life and enthralled the nation as Australia mourned the death of a man they never knew. That was from the Courier-Mail. As we hear that sort of thing, we know there's a rightness to that sort of sacrifice for one person loving another so much that they would put themselves in the way of a shark for someone else. John gave his life for his wife because he loved her. Jesus died for you and he died for me because he loved us. And what Jesus did was effective. It wasn't this noble effort that, that failed, that looked good, but on, paper, but on paper it just didn't work. It was a wonderful victory 
Matthew says, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. That's verse 50. You see, it's not the end. When someone dies, there's, there's usually no big fanfare in the world. You don't, nothing really changes. People go on, life goes on, good goes on, evil goes on. But not this time. Listen to what happens when Jesus died, verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now, this was some event, wasn't it? The graves are opened, people raised, and the normal pattern of life is, sent, is temporarily overturned. This is a huge event as people, as the dead come back, not as zombies. It's not that picture, right? It's not wandering around, brains, brains, brains. It's these are real people walking around, looking, people saying, look who's back. I know that person. It's a foretaste of what the Bible calls resurrection, when all the dead will rise. And at that moment, at the moment that Jesus died and the graves are torn open, the temple curtain is torn in two. Now, the temple was a place in Jerusalem, there's an image up on the screen now, where God had his throne on earth. The top area in that picture is, is, is where we're going to talk about. It's in the holy place, and we're going to zoom in on that. Hope it's zooming. No zooming? Oh, well. The top area. Uh, and, in fact, it's the very top part of the very top part that is the most holy place. And the curtain was here, separating where everyone else was from the presence of God. So the presence of God's behind this curtain and there's this really big curtain and then there's everyone else on the outside, the priests immediately. And it's this huge curtain, there's a picture of the curtain, what they think it looked like, that separated God's most holy place, his seat, his throne. And it is torn in two, just rent in half symbolically showing that no longer is there this barrier between humanity and where God is. It's opened up. Now anyone can come into God's presence, could approach the throne of grace. He was placed in a tomb. That's the custom of the time. He was buried. And not just buried, that he sealed in. The seal of of Pilate is put on the tomb, do not disturb this tomb. So we'll pick it up again in verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. So he sealed it in, but not just sealed it in, it was guarded by Roman soldiers for, for whom dereliction of duty meant death. If you didn't do your duty, you died, verse 65. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. 
So they went and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Jesus is truly dead. And so what he had come to do is truly finished. He paid for the sins of the world by his sacrificial death on the cross. As the song goes on, his dying breath has brought me life. I know it it is finished. So just what did happen when Jesus died? Well, we see that Jesus died willingly because he loved us. We've seen that Jesus died because it was God's plan for him to die. And we've seen that Jesus died because we all need a saviour. Someone to rescue us from the deadly results of our rejection of him. And so the question that you and I, that we all face, is right there. Jesus died for your salvation, for my salvation, out of love, according to the scriptures. He died so that we could be friends with God again. He died so that we would not have to die to face God's wrath by facing it for us, by being our substitute. Are we so insensitive, so arrogant, so unconcerned, so apathetic that we can just wave that off? To be unconcerned about someone dying for us. Do you think that Debbie Ford, John Ford's wife, just ignored the fact that he threw himself, pushed himself in front of that shark? Well, so what do we think? What do you think? What do I think? And what are we going to do about it? How do we respond to that wonderful, amazing sacrifice for us? His death for my sin to bring us to God. But of course, the best is yet to come. And the best is on Sunday. So I'll see you all here on Sunday. Let's pray. We pray for those in this world who do not yet see with clear eyes the sacrifices your only Son has made for us. We pray that through the work of your Holy Spirit, they may turn away from darkness and sin in Jesus' name. Bring us to see that it was in the Lord Jesus' death and resurrection that salvation comes. And for those of us who through no merit or work of our own have come to know and rejoice in the forgiveness that his death has won for us. May we humbly bow in thanksgiving and love for that wonderful moment when with unfathomable agony and victory you pronounced, it is finished and breathe your final breath for love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think we're going to sing again now. Most